Funding for Smart Talk is provided by Capital Blue Cross. For 80 years, Capital Blue Cross has offered products that provide peace of mind and promote good health. Focused on creating a healthier future for our communities through innovations like its Capital Blue Health and Wellness Centers that provide in-person service and inspire healthy living. Capital Blue Cross is behind you for whatever lies ahead. More information is at capbluecross.com. Capital Blue Cross. Live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by UPMC Pinnacle, committed to reducing hospital-acquired infections and readmission rates. More information on UPMC Pinnacle's achievements in patient safety can be found at upmcpinnacle.com quality. Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. We'll be talking about proposals to create a single-payer health care system in just a few minutes. But first, we try to learn more about what everyone is talking about this morning, the mass shooting in Las Vegas late last night. More than 50 people were killed and at least 200 injured at a country music concert, making this shooting the deadliest in American history. NPR has been covering this all morning, but we wanted to talk to someone on the scene. Joining us is Dana Gentry, a longtime investigator reporter and TV journalist in Las Vegas. Ms. Gentry, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. I wish it were under other circumstances. I, I know that you've been up for, for I understand, almost uh, 24 hours, so I, I really appreciate uh, you taking the time to, to talk with us this morning. I want to kind of back up a little bit. Uh, as I mentioned, NPR has been covering this all morning. The other networks have been all over it. But I just wanted to bring everyone up to date. The shooting began at about, about 10.08. Uh, how were Las Vegans alerted? How were you alerted to it? Uh, it was yeah, just about... Eight hours ago that it started, I had a birthday party for my niece last night, and everyone had left. And then I got a text from a friend of mine who works at Top Golf, which is a golf range kind of tourist attraction near the MGM. And uh, she said that they were barricaded. There was an active shooter. They were unable to leave. And then I looked at my Twitter feed and started to see you know, pictures, videos coming in. And it was, you know, it's, uh, it was just, it's surreal. You watch these things happen in other places. I was born here. I've lived here all my life. And as much as we have dreaded the possibility of something like this happening because of the recognizable skyline of Las Vegas, um, I always thought it would be some sort of international terrorism and to find out that it's a man from a neighboring ranching community is just, it's a kick in the gut. It really is. People are shocked. Well, we know the shooter was 64-year-old Stephen Paddock from Mesquite, as you mentioned. I understand that's about 80 miles from Vegas. Has the sheriff Mm -hmm. released any more information about the shooter other than just those basic facts? Uh, we found out just a few moments ago during a police briefing that the woman who was being sought as a person of interest has been reached uh, out of the country. She apparently had no involvement. I think they were looking for her because the uh, suspect used some of her ID in checking into the hotel, perhaps. So uh, we have also learned that the suspect's family, I guess his brother, was interviewed by uh, national media and said that he was just a guy, had no political leanings that would have led to this sort of thing. So it's that's the, the question now is motive. You know, it, it, Las Vegas, people lose a lot of money. You always think about possibly revenge as a motive, uh, but... We, that That is the big question right now. And police have just gotten a search warrant for his home and will be entering that. I think they're looking for any sort of booby traps, any explosives. Uh, before they conduct a search, they'll have to clear the home. You mentioned earlier that uh, when you thought of a potential terrorism attack, and by the way, many people are calling this what it is, uh, a terrorist attack, just may not be politically motivated, don't know what the motivation is just yet, but uh, that many people probably thought of buildings or something symbolic. After 9-11, Las Vegas was one of those places that really increased uh, security. Did anyone ever think of anything like this, though? Well, I I think, you know, 
uh, gun crimes are on everyone's minds, unfortunately. And I have two sons who have a band, and every time they play a gig, it's something that's on my mind. Uh, so, yes, I'm sure it is. But as I said, it's the kind of thing that we all, you know, since 9-11, and yes, this is terrorism by by any stretch of the imagination, any definition, this is terrorism. It's just not the kind of international Islamic, radical Islamic terrorism that we've all been expecting. Uh, it, I think everyone kind of thought that was inevitable because Las Vegas is such a, <clears throat> a mecca of sin in the minds of uh, radical Islamists. So, and, you know, the the 9-11 hijackers came here before their attack and, I think that's just all, we've been featured. Our skyline has been featured in ISIS videos, Al Qaeda videos. So that's just the kind of thing that we have always focused on. But yes, uh, gun crime is certainly on everyone's mind. And if anything positive can come out of this, I hope it will be more of a concentration on that. Not that we, you know, can't that, that we shouldn't be taking other terrorism threats. Seriously, but I think that perhaps we get so wrapped up in those threats that we are not looking in our own backyard. I, you know, really don't want to speculate because there's a lot of speculation going on this morning. Only want to talk about what we do know and and the facts out there. But from what I understand, and I hope you can address this, that uh, Nevada has, you know, when you talk about uh, guns and their availability that uh, the guns are are pretty readily available in Nevada and especially in Las Vegas, pawn shops, different places, that there's a gun show almost every day, not every week, but almost every day. Um, We know there, after these kind of shootings, that there would be a lot of talk about how we control guns, uh, the laws and all that. But if you would, just kind of describe what Nevada's gun laws are like and how available firearms are. Well, we ha- we are an open carry state, which is you know a problem in itself because uh, seeing someone walking around openly with a gun is very disconcerting, and law enforcement is not always trained properly to handle it, unfortunately. So that's a problem. But yes, we do have the gun show loopholes and all of those things. We have gun shows here constantly, uh, and our efforts to change the gun laws have been stymied by uh, Governor Sandoval primarily. So it's a very difficult issue here. And anyone... And, you know, it's a it's the kind of state where, you know, we are very independent in Nevada. It's a libertarian state. Um, and it's a very difficult thing to say to people. People are afraid, you know, we want people want to take their guns away once you propose any sort of gun control legislation. And again, I don't want to speculate on anything, but I think we can safely say that uh, those shots were fired from a fully automatic rifle, which for the most part, almost everywhere, unless you have a special license, uh, is illegal. Of course, a semi-automatic weapon can be altered to make it fully automatic. I mean, they're not selling fully automatic weapons in Nevada, are they? Legally. Um, you know, I don't know. I could not tell you that. I'm not a gun enthusiast, and I could not tell you that. But uh, we, whatever is legal to be sold in the United States can be sold in Nevada. We have among the most liberal gun laws in the nation. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, and I don't want to, you know, this sounds... So macabre when we talk about the the numbers, and it's already been described as the worst mass shooting because uh, 50 people have been killed, more than uh, 200 injured. Uh, Any updates on those figures whatsoever? We're up to 400-plus taken to hospitals in the area, and they're sticking at 50 for the death toll right now. And it's the kind of thing that, you know, when you hear about an active shooting situation, you're told to drop and take cover. And when somebody is shooting from the 32nd floor down into a crowd of 22,000 people, those rules just, <laughs> they don't apply. There's there's nowhere to hide. So it, this, this event took planning. The cache of weapons, I understand, is quite extensive that were in the room. 
Uh, and we, I understand that the suspect, uh, we just learned that he killed himself. Metro Police did not kill him. He killed himself. Yeah, that is something that uh, I have not heard reported so far today. Uh, Danny Gentry, you're, you're right, uh, unfortunately, under these circumstances that uh, we're talking. But I want to thank you very much for being with us today. We learned a whole lot. All right. Thank you very much. Take care. Dana Gentry is a longtime investigative reporter and TV journalist in Las Vegas, providing an update on the ground update of uh, the shooting last night in Las Vegas. You're listening to uh, Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Smart Talk is supported by Capital Blue Cross, providing health care coverage accepted by doctors and specialists in all 50 states. More information is available at capbluecross.com. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by the team of cardiologists, surgeons, nurses, physicians assistants, and rehabilitation specialists from Pinnacle Health Cardiovascular Institute, part of UPMC Pinnacle, delivering a broad range of traditional and highly specialized procedures. Welcome back to Smart Talk. Kind of a hard turn to make when uh, we're talking about a mass killing. But uh, something that uh, has been on the minds of a lot of people here in the last few weeks, a single-payer health care system. The third attempt to overturn the Affordable Care Act failed last week when Senate Republicans determined they didn't have enough support to bring the vote to the floor. That means the ACA or Obamacare remains intact for the time being, but these repeal and replace attempts are forcing Democrats to find ways to plug the holes in the program, namely, namely increase premiums and decrease competition in the insurance market. For Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders has proposed a single-payer universal health care plan that would improve on the successful aspects of Obamacare. The plan has as many critics as it does advocates. The bill has no chance of passing through Congress right now, but it has elevated the topic to one of the national one of a national discussion. Today, we'll spend the rest of this hour parsing out some of the benefits and drawbacks of a universal single-payer health care, and we invite you to make your phone calls and uh, emails if uh, what you think about a single-payer single payer system or, as some have referred to it, Medicare for all. 1-800-729-7532 or send an email to smarttalk at org. Joining us are Pennsylvania State Representative Pamela Delisio, a Democrat representing parts of Montgomery and Philadelphia counties. Dr. William Davidson is a cardiologist who has served central Pennsylvania for 30 years. He's a member of Physicians for a National Health Program. Vince Phillips was the state legislative lobbyist for the Pennsylvania Association of Health Underwriters for 18 years. He recently retired from the position, but is still an outspoken critic of single-payer proposals. Eric Beidel is the former president of the board for the Central Pennsylvania chapter of the Association of Health Underwriters. And joining us by phone is Elizabeth Stell, the director of policy analysis for the Commonwealth Foundation. We have a full house today. I want to thank everyone for being with us. Pleased to be here. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you. Again, if you have a question or a comment, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532, or send an email to smarttalk at org. Dr. Davidson, let's talk about single-payer single, single payer system. Why do you support it? Well, single-payer system uh, gives us the opportunity to cover everyone. Our present system falls short of that in that there are 25 million people in this country, even after Obamacare, who no longer have insurance. And, of course, the most recent Republican suggestions for a change would have left us with about 50 million uninsured. Well, one could say, well, that's so what? Uh, Unfortunately, when you're uninsured, you are at risk to dying young. They're younger than you would ordinarily die, and therefore we feel that a single-payer system that covers everyone will bring about a vast improvement in our health care system. Vince Phillips, let me ask you the opposite. Uh, why do you oppose a single-payer system? Well, first of all, I want to compliment, I want to compliment you. Uh, I love Smart Talk, frankly, because it's a place where you can engage in civil conversation, particularly if there's an issue like this. Well, thank you. Uh, one thing that gave me my interest in single-payer was what happened in Ontario, Canada in the early 1990s, where the province of Ontario ran out of money, and so they closed their hospitals down for everything except emergency services. And that got me kind of interested in how this experiment would work or not work. Uh, I've concluded pretty much that uh, single-payer is going to invite some type of rationing of health care 
because it's a, it's a global budget. You've got a set amount to spend. The only way to get more money is to perhaps have more taxes or to cut back on services that are eligible for funding under a universal health care system. So, Dr. Davidson, let me turn back to you and, and uh, Representative Delisio. I'm going to talk about the state and what you're proposing, too. But what Vince uh, Phillips just brought up there is one of the big arguments against uh, universal health care in that it costs a lot. Uh, I mean, I've seen uh, different figures, but anywhere from $390 billion to $500 billion it would cost the United States to implement this. Well, it's very strange that uh, that uh, Vince has uh, commented about the, the cost of a single payer when, in reality, it's a much more economical system. All you have to do is look at Canada right now, and they spend $5,000 per person, and we spend $10,000 per person. In addition to that, when you look at uh, the big picture of how much is spent uh, in their economy, they spend about 11% on health care, and we spend... 18, 19%. So in terms of costs, single-payer Medicare for All is a much, much more economical system and one that really we should strive for if we think that our present health care system is costing too much, which it is. But is that an apples-to-apples comparison when you're talking about the spending per patient? Uh, Because, let's face it... Per citizen. Okay, per, per citizen. But is it, is it a good comparison when you're talking? Because we know that uh, the cost in the United States is probably higher than any other country in the world of for health care. There are a lot of different factors that go into that. So one of the arguments for this is that the cost of health care would come down. You agree? It will come down. It will not come down immediately because immediately we have to take the savings from a single-payer system and then cover everybody. As you know, 25 million people right now are not covered. So we would bring them into the system, and we would propose that we improve Medicare for all. The present Medicare system covers about 50% of the cost of a typical elderly person would have in health care, where in Canada, the Medicare system covers about 80% of their health care costs. So we would improve it and cover everyone, which initially would not bring down the cost, but with time would and the other major factor of, bring, of, uh, of how it would improve the cost that we would pay would be that the pharmaceutical industry would be bargained with, and instead of paying the outlandish fees that we now pay for our drugs, we would pay uh, costs that are more commensurate with the rest of the advanced industrialized world. Elizabeth, let me bring you into the conversation here. Costs is, uh, I know, one of the big arguments that uh, you've made against uh, uh, against a single-payer system. Uh, why do why you think that it would cost too much? Well, cost is a concern for us, but that's really not the primary issue. What we're most concerned about is that it becomes a system where you and your doctor have even less control than than you have right now, um, which is not ideal. And, and I'm the first to admit that you know our healthcare system is broken, and it was broken long before the Affordable Care Act. And, and so, yeah, cost is a part of that. And and you know the relationship between you and your doctor, I think, is primary, and and the power that the patient has to make choices about their care. And if your concern is cost, well, let's ask why is healthcare so expensive in the first place? And I think the answer there is again little patient control. We we don't even know the cost of what we're, we're receiving. You know, when you get a test, you don't know the cost until you get your bill in the mail. So there are many ways we can drive down the cost and make the actual health care more affordable for people, which is what people really want. There's there's a difference between coverage and care. Having an insurance card does not necessarily mean you have affordable and accessible health care. And so I think we have to, to you know, redefine the problem here and, and really get back to basics and say, you know, why is it so expensive? That's the reason people can't get the health care they need. And we're going to be jumping around with our guests and with those on the air today. But uh, So bear with me when we do that. And Again, we uh, encourage your phone calls, too. I see we have a few phone calls on the line. We'll get to you in just a moment. Representative Delisio, you have something that's unique, a proposal that's kind of unique. I mean, we're talking about national health care here. One of the things that you have proposed is a statewide plan. Tell us about it. 
Well, House Bill 1688 was introduced just this past Friday, September 29th. Um, it has been introduced in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania over, uh, over the past decade. Uh, and then some. So uh, many of my uh, predecessor colleagues have believed in this. Uh, the bill is a single-payer system, and the premise is universal health coverage. And I think, Scott, there's a lot of education that needs to be done for our citizens, for my colleagues in the House as well as in the Senate, to understand exactly what this means and exactly where the opportunities are. So universal health coverage means that everybody has the opportunity to have access to care. Um, as Elizabeth mentioned, the idea of coverage is not indicative of care or access. Uh, we see particularly today um, high deductibles, high premiums. You know, I've been an employer and have overseen uh, four different companies over a 30-plus year career, and part of my responsibilities as a CEO was uh, we were committed to providing health benefits to our employees. A very complex, complicated, convoluted system where, in fact, we had to hire outside consultants in order to help us sort that out. Um, I don't think that was ever the intent to have employers this deeply involved in health care benefits. Benefits. Uh, for those employers who can't offer it, it doesn't level the playing field. So there are many benefits to the concept of a single-payer system, and a single-payer system is the mechanism that's being proposed to deliver universal health coverage in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Do I think this legislation is uh, perfect and stellar? Absolutely not. How would it be paid for on the statewide level? I mean, we've already addressed somewhat or at least touched the surface with uh, nationally, but what about state? How would we pay for it? The legislation currently proposes a 3% personal income tax for individuals and a 10% tax on payroll for employers. Flat predictable, uh, controllable uh, from the, the standpoint of an employer's pocket or an individual's pocket, and that it, it's premised upon obtaining a waiver from CMS to be able to also redirect Medicaid and Medicare funds into this Pennsylvania health care plan in order to keep the plan viable and solvent going forward. Um, I think we are smart enough uh, individually and collectively as a group to figure out how this works, what is the best way to structure it, um, if in fact that particular proposal is not the best way to structure it. But most individuals, I would say nine out of ten individuals and then some, will find that their out-of-pocket costs are drop tremendously lower than they're currently paying now, and they will know what they have to pay. Right now, if you get sick, if it's urgent care, if it's emergent care, uh, you don't know at the beginning of the year what your health costs might be at the end of the year because you don't know what's going to happen. Now, when you say out-of-pocket costs, you're just talking about for health care, paying for health care. You're not including the taxes in that, right? No, I am referring to the tax. Tax that plus the uh, what it would cost the a way patient. The, the way the language currently reads, the tax is the only out-of-pocket cost that an individual okay. would have. Uh, in theory, there's no premium, there's no deductible, there's no copay. Okay. Eric Biden, I want to bring you in. Eric is uh, the former president of the board of the Central Pennsylvania Chapter of the Association of Health Underwriters. There would be a lot of changes under a single-payer system, whether it's statewide or nationally. Uh, one would be, you wonder, what would the role of insurance companies be? The other would be how physicians, how medical providers are paid. Uh, you know, right now in this country, we have uh, doctors who, especially specialists, who make a, a real good living that way. Under, uh, They don't particularly care for Medicare and how they're paid because it's a reduced rate. They're all paid about the same. Uh, and the same with insurance companies. You wonder what kind of role insurance companies would have in a single-payer system. How do you address those things? I, I feel like I'm on, like, the retired, like, washed-up wannabes board because we got Vince here who's retired, and you referred to me <laughs> as the former president of the board. So I'm I'm still on the Pennsylvania Health Underwriters Board. Oh, I'm sorry. So I, that, that's okay. I got okay. some bad information that's here. That's okay. That's okay. It's, it's been a busy morning. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I just wanted to make that point. I mean, what I really do in order to make a living is I am one of those advisors or consultants that talks to individuals and talks to companies about uh, 
uh, implementing health plans and, and advising them on that. Um, and if you don't mind, I'd, I'd like to go back to something. You referred to apples to apples in, sure. the, compa- in the comparison with Canada. And, and I think you can't look at a per-person cost. That's important. But you, the reason it costs twice as much in the United States is real easy. We consume more health care. We get more tests. We just have more stuff done to us. There's something else we consume more of. It's food. We're not as healthy. And, and so it's a double-edged sword. You know, we've got to address the health of Americans you know, first and how that will fit into a program. Because it doesn't matter if it's single payer. It doesn't matter if it's a market-based plan. What matters is that we promote a healthy population. My fear in a single-payer system is a very personal fear. What if the care I desire for myself or my, someone in my family is not covered? What happens then? Because you're outside the box. And I personally went through this. Well, give me an example. Give me an example. I'm going to give you a great example. In, In 2005, my youngest was born, and she was very, very ill. And we went to doctor after doctor and hospital after hospital, and she had test after test. I do okay, you know, financially. I've got means to pay for care. I had great, I mean great, fantastic health insurance. Can't say enough positive things about the health insurance I have. I have, at that time, I, I, you know, he's passed, but I had a pediatrician as a father and as a sister, so I had some contacts. Um, but it took a year to get uh, my daughter diagnosed for Lyme's disease. Uh, we ended up searching out a doctor, which our insurance wouldn't pay for, out of uh, New Haven, Connecticut, and, uh, and he treated her, and he cured her, as much as you can be cured for Lyme's. But she is, if you look at her today, you would never know. She is healthy and does somersaults and backflips. I know that's a tuck. I got to get that correct or she'll, <laughs> she'll get it. But the thing is, is what happens if we have a single payer system and you, your illness, because health care is not stagnant. Disease is not stagnant. It's always changing. There's always new stuff coming up. What happens if what you have, what you're fighting for, isn't covered. If we have one system that the coverage is dictated by somebody far away, and for me, I know we're sitting in Harrisburg, but Harrisburg is just as far away as Washington, D.C. I, and, you know, I don't want that type of system, especially the 13% well, tax. Well, let me bring Dr. Davidson in with that. Yeah, I mean, of course, it's ironic what you say, because for 24 million people, uh, they don't have the coverage that you now speak about that you were fear you might lose. Well, in this country right now, there are 24 million people that are in that ball game. Okay, but let, let me just interrupt. I mean, and let's address what uh, he was saying specifically about access to care. And this is something Elizabeth brought up, too. Mm-hmm. Um, Canada. Well, let me first bring up Britain. You need a specialist in Britain. You need surgery. The average wait time for surgery in Great Britain is six months. In Canada, it's eight months. That is one of the fears with a single-payer system is that uh, and, and it, it touches on some other issues as well, that we have a doctor shortage in this country, especially in some rural areas of this country. So addressing what Eric is talking about specifically, what about those things? Well, first of all, it's a little overstated what you just stated no, about I Canada. Got, no, I got that. I got that from uh, the Fraser Institute, which uh, gives us rather distorted information. That's not where I got it, but I didn't got anyway. in any event. Um, you know, you have that information in Canada, and why? The reason you have it in Canada is because in Canada they publish that information. It is publicly available. If you want to get an appointment with a neurologist at the Hershey Medical Center, where do you go to find out what the wait time is? There is no place to go because we have no system. The the life expectancy of Canadians is better than the United States. By two years. Yes. So if people are getting such bad care because they're in a single-payer system, how come they live longer? How come their infant mortality is less? They have comparable 
outcomes as we do in the United States, and they do it for half the cost, and they cover everybody. I've worked for the last seven years in a free clinic. I know what the uninsured must go through. We have great deal of difficulty getting a person who is uninsured seen by a specialist in this country. Eric, obviously, like myself, we had good incomes. Um, we had access to top-notch private insurance. And still, he had to pay out of pocket, presumably, to see the gentleman that took care of his daughter in Hartford, Connecticut. In a universal single-payer Medicare for All system, every doctor is accessible to you. Every institution, every hospital is accessible to you. It is the private insurance industry that limits your choice by putting you in networks. So, Scott, if ahead, I may, the... Sure. Um, in Please, someone correct me if I'm inaccurate. Uh, Canada and Great Britain, that is a government-owned system. Those facilities are owned by the government. Uh, I believe the healthcare practitioners are employed by the government. Uh, what is proposed here in the Commonwealth vis-a-vis uh, -vis House Bill 1688 is not government-owned. Nobody is employed by the government, and no one is, uh, none of these, facility, these facilities and the practitioners remain in the private sector. Um, so that is very much uh, what the free market well, is how, always how, looking how for. Well, how would that work? I mean, because what everyone has in mind is a single-payer would be a government-run system. How would this work? The the Pennsylvania health care plan envisions a quasi-government agency that will oversee this. So currently you have insurers very much dictating the care that you get. I mean, I meet with physicians on a frequent enough basis, and I myself have just finished treatment over the past 16 months for breast cancer, and I was, um, and I've been relatively healthy most of my 60 years, so this was my first real interface with the healthcare system, and it was amazing how many times my healthcare practitioners would say, this is the recommended course of treatment if your insurer approves it. So currently, I, and I don't want our listeners to be confused, currently we do have gatekeepers and we do have dictators, and they, and that in fact are the insurers that um, decide what and what order treatment happens in. I have physicians saying they recommend a certain treatment, but the insurer says they have to do A, B, and C first before their patient can access the treatment D. So when you talk about driving up costs, the fact that uh, you have to jump through all these hoops or that uh, healthcare practitioners have to defend they're vigorously, in some cases, their treatment plans to an insurer to get that approval um, is very frustrating. That will, will come away from this. And I, I also want to make sure folks understand nothing will be rationed. I mean, do you hear under currently Medicare? Talk to somebody who's on Medicare. People generally can't wait to be covered by Medicare. There's no rationing on Medicare. Mm -hmm. And maybe the payments that uh, physicians are getting are not as much as perhaps they would like. But again, there's so much uh, excess cost, administrative cost, and there really are no controls in place currently that when those costs are redirected and brought down, it'll bring down the cost of care and it can redirect so healthcare practitioners are reimbursed commensurately with their expertise and their experience. Vince Phillips? Scott, I'm going to jump in here. Um, I feel like I'm having deja vu all over again. There will be no rationing of health care. I feel like I'm hearing if you lo like your doctor, you can keep them. If you like your health plan, you can keep them. Keep it. it, it if, if you think we ha I, I deal every day with someone who calls me who says, hey, my doctor wants me to get a PET scan, but the insurance company won't pay for it. And we go through, you know, a PET scan is an extremely expensive test. And what the insurance company asks for is that you get another test first. They want to see if you have cancer before they locate, you know, spend 10 times the amount f to, to locate the specific spot in your body where the cancer is, okay? You know, there is no way you can have a system that costs, has no out-of-pocket costs to the individual and say there's not going to be any rationing. A doctor can only see so many patients in a day. 
a that, hospital. That's not a, rationing. A, a, rationing a hospital only has so many beds. A hospital only has so many beds. I mean, I don't want to go into into too many statistics, but you know, a lot of Canadians come to the United States for treatment. But getting back to, and, and, and I want to go back to something you said earlier about health care. You know, one of the arguments for the Affordable Care Act was that people who are uninsured would now be able to see a doctor that in time the nation's health would improve, that we wouldn't be used. I mean, you're absolutely right that the only way that health care becomes cheaper at this point is if you don't use it. And, you know, because we do have so many people use it. But just what Dr. Davidson said, that Canadians live on average two years longer than Americans. The infant mortality rate is lower than here in the United States. When we're paying so much for health care, those statistics don't make a whole lot of sense. Again, we as a people are not, are are so far less healthy. How do we change that? How do we change Americans' lifestyles that they're going to be healthy? Man, you get an answer to that question, and you're going places. I mean, that is that is the big question. How do we change that? You know, I get, I get companies, small companies, every day who say, what can I do to improve my health care costs? What can I do to lower those costs, to have healthier employees? One of the, one of the drawbacks of the Affordable Care Act is that for a small employer, there is very little you can do, really next to nothing that you can do to uh, advocate, to, to get money back to reduce your health care costs by advocating uh, uh, for a healthier lifestyle for employees. But, but wouldn't it make sense when they're, they're talking about everyone being covered that people would be healthier? And, and, you know, to talk about the everybody being covered, that is fantastic. We want everyone to be covered. We have difficulty getting people covered. There are, out of that 24 million, there are some pretty alarming statistics about how many people are actually eligible for plans but not enrolled. I've seen statistics from the Kaiser Foundation that, that it's nearly half that are eligible for a plan at no cost through Medicaid, where but they just can't can't for whatever reason they don't enroll and you know a lot of people if they don't need it they don't enroll elizabeth go ahead yeah i want to jump in here um you know i think there's a different way to get at this problem of getting people healthier and driving down the cost of our health care some of the alternative solutions we've looked at really focus in on the supply of medical care and making it easier more convenient to get medical care you know, things like a primary doctor, because we know when people regularly see their primary doctors, they tend to be healthier, they do preventive medicine, they catch things before they become more expensive and complicated and, um, you know, drive up costs and higher quality of life, all those things. So one thing that's actually just moved through the House is direct primary care legislation to protect that model so that it doesn't become highly regulated, and that's where you pay a, a monthly fee or an annual cost, and you have that doctor at your disposal, sometimes 24-7. You have a direct relationship with that doctor. It's kind of going back to the old school, you know, uh, home visits in some cases, and, and really helping people see the value of investing in a relationship. And so they see healthcare as a um, as, as an important and, and con- convenient thing rather than um, you know, something that they dread or, you know, a bureaucratic nightmare. Um, another thing, nurse practitioners, allowing them to practice independently in Pennsylvania so that we can get more accessible care to our rural regions so people don't have to drive hours to see a doctor. They can, you know, drive 20 minutes to see the nurse practitioner in their community and get high-quality care at a lower cost. So there are other ways to get at this problem of helping us become healthier without moving to a single-payer system, which is really single-decider. You know, insurance company has a lot of power now. Imagine how much power your bureaucrats have in a single-payer system. You know, let's, let's shift it back and make it a patient-driven system where you get to decide what health care do I receive based on the cost, based on, you know, my doctor's recommendation. I'm the decider, not some other entity. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. 
No, we are not going to solve this issue, as uh, Eric Beidel just reminded me. We are not going to solve this problem in less than an hour, but we're trying to cover as much as we can. We're going to take some phone calls in just a moment here. We're talking about a single-payer health care system. Joining us, State Representative Pamela Delisio and Dr. William Davidson of Physicians for a National Health Program, and critics Vince Phillips and Eric Beidel of the Pennsylvania Association of Health Underwriters, and Elizabeth Stell of the Commonwealth Foundation. We're going to be taking some phone calls in just one minute. Vince Phillips wanted to join in here. Vince, go right ahead. Well, first of all, I would like to say that I'm the former lobbyist for the health underwriters. After 19 years, I did retire from that. I I do have you identified here accurately, I think. Uh, Two things come to mind. One, it gets back to how do you pay for whatever system you have. If you have a single payer and it's budgeted through the government, whether it's 3% PIT or 10% or employer Personal income tax, yeah. Or something at the national level with uh, the the Sanders plan. Uh, You're going to have to watch costs because you have a limited budget. You have a global budget. So how, if the costs go excessive over that budget, what do you do? You raise taxes. You cut back on permissible procedures. You cut back on payments to health care providers. And that's where the argument of rationing comes in. For example, uh, the Canadian Institute for Health Information says that if you want a hip replacement, uh, 81% will get it within 26 weeks, which means that 19% will not. Uh, Knee replacement, 77% will get knee replacements within 26 weeks. That means 23% will not. Uh, And it kind of goes down the list. uh, The range in Canada for CAT scan uh, depending on which province is 28 days to 74 days, and MRI 91 days to 202 days. Now, I think that's a consequence of the shortage of procedures available, and I think that's a product of the government arbitrarily limiting the amount of health care that they will pay for. Uh, particularly in Pennsylvania, raising taxes is, is uh, what the General Assembly is wrestling with now, uh, like every year. Uh, but I but I think that the thing is, if you have a budget and you have to stick to it and you only know what you can spend, your resources are limited. Your options are limited as to what you can do to cut costs that you, as a single payer, would have to pay for. Let me take uh, as many calls as I can here in the last uh, 10 minutes of the program. Uh, let's see. Let's go to Bill in Lancaster. Bill, you're on the air. Good morning, Scott. Hi, Bill. Ladies and gentlemen. Um, that last gentleman, I would like to make a brief comment about that and then go into what I called about. Uh, he forgot one very big item of cost, and that's called insurance company profit. Now, I, for oh, 35, 40, maybe 45 years, have been a member of a very large insurance company uh, for my car insurance. And I belong to what they call the mutual insurance company, run by a major company. And a mutual insurance company, for those who don't know, are very simple. The company is basically owned and run as uh, an entity of the policyholders. So any profit that happens to be made during a year gets rolled back into reducing the premiums for next year. Why can't the government and the insurance companies get together and put up a series of uh, a series of items that uh, this type of a company should address? And every insurance company that wants to participate can participate as a private company, as a mutual private insurance company, to reduce the costs down. All right. Thank you very much for your call, Bill. Gentlemen. Well, I would weigh in and say that, first of all, I like the idea of mutual insurance companies where they're owner-owned, but I can't speak to his specifics, except to say that in a a single-payer system, there's going to be a finite ceiling as to what can be spent. Uh, And the, the consequence is that the government will set the parameters, what procedures are acceptable, what procedures will be allowed, and also uh, uh, other things such as uh, uh, as the the wait time. And, of course, getting back to my Ontario example, what happens when you run out of money? Mm-hmm. What do you do? Representative Delisio. Scott, I really appreciate the opportunity for this uh, pastime to chat about this. Uh, you're right. We're not going to... Uh, 
time is insufficient to have a more full dialogue, and I look forward to that because some of the comments and statements that I'm hearing this morning are somewhat out of context, uh, which doesn't do well in terms of informing our citizenry. So I encourage anybody who wants to continue this conversation to call my office directly, uh, 717-783-4945. and look forward to hearings. Um, you know, currently, deductibles and premiums are how insurance companies gather more dollars in order to pay for that uh, and to make sure their f- reserves are adequately funded. And we see these reserves through the roof. So the current system is not perfect, and we need to move to a different system that, in fact, puts citizens first. And... Um, you know, this. some of these key words like rationing and the government is going to dictate are uh, this this puts lots of concern in citizens uh, minds. And I would appreciate citizens just giving that opportunity for a fuller discussion, because that is not the intent. If anybody knows me personally, they know full well that that would never be. Uh, the intent, nor would it be uh, how it rolls out. The Affordable Care Act, I said from the beginning, was not going to be the answer to this problem because it was still an insurance-driven product. And when Congress worked as hard to sabotage it as to pass it, um, that never really had the opportunity that was intended. And we need to be able to keep tweaking this and working at it. In fact, it needs more than a tweak. So I appreciate the opportunity to continue the dialogue. Let's talk to Pam. Uh, Pam, you're on the air. Very good. Uh, two quick uh, things. We have over 30 countries to choose, pick and choose the best of the best uh, who have uh, the health care, universal health care. Also, I am grossly limited by my insurance company already. So it's already rationed between what I can afford on a deductible and what they will and will not pay for. Thank you. Thank you very much for your call. Uh, gentlemen, uh, what about that? She's right, Thirty, at least 30 countries. Well, and absolutely, because there's lots of different types of universal plans out there. So I, I, I think other countries should be looked at. I mean, some people might look at a country like France and say, oh, that's a, that's a total 100% government-run system. But the, the government portion of that really only pays for about 70, I mean, really only pays, pays for about 70% of the care. And then insurance companies are involved also. It, there is far more that the four or five of us agree about than, than disagree. Um, and Representative DeLucio said something wonderful a minute ago about, you know, we really need everyone to be working together and, and for one side to stop sabotaging the other side. Uh, the Affordable Care Act is was a step forward, and and we need to get many more steps forward, um, and and we're going to get there, but we have to have civil conversation in order to do that. But you know you're right, and that's what we're trying to do here. And you're right, we're not going to solve this problem. But let's face it, the situation in Washington is such that it's a political issue. I mean, maybe now there's been some discussion about the bipartisan effort in Washington, uh, maybe since uh, three other or or, uh, times that the bills were defeated uh, in Well, actually never even made it to the floor, but uh, that there needs to be something bipartisan here. And that's what appears to be missing in this conversation, that everyone is looking out for someone else. I worked in Washington for 10 years, and frankly, I like it a lot better in Pennsylvania, where you can have a civil discourse like this rather than have it be so so sabotaged by just uh, overt partisanship as much as in Washington, D.C. So I, I think Okay, when you said you like, I thought you said you like Washington much better than that. Oh, so. I don't think I said no. that at all. Oh, I, I thought that's what I, you uh, said. I was like, what? No, I moved to Pennsylvania <laughs> because, for many reasons, but Pennsylvania is mm-hmm. much more likely to have a civil discourse on something like this. Well, yeah, because I because I think people here, although there are obvious partisan differences, uh, I think generally speaking, everyone's looking for the the best way. Even though the the approaches may differ, I think they've all got their eye on the ultimate goal, which means that the regardless of whether you're a single payer advocate or a market oriented advocate, the fact of the matter is, I think you're looking 
out for what's good for people in Pennsylvania much more. Mm. Let's take one more phone call. Gary's in Juniata County. Gary, I'm going to have to ask you to be pretty quick. Okay. Um, I want to say thank you very much to Mr. Phillips because he represents farmers on the State Council of Farm Organizations. Uh, you went back to people not being healthy. I think we need a smaller plan, a basic bare-bones plan that the government would run. Anything after that is more of a specialty, but you get into a pool where a doctor or a nurse evaluates you and not an insurance company, and then your risk is then determined whether you need a nurse practitioner to kind of help you with healthy eating or losing weight or stopping smoking or whatever, and then there would be uh, room for some commercial plans to, to carry the ball forward, but a bare-bones plan to get started so people have at least the basic coverage. Thank right. you very much. Thank you very much for your call. Dr. Davidson, what about that? Well, there's been some misconceptions here. I mean, first of all, there are more Canadians uh, that smoke than uh, than Americans. There are more Europeans that smoke than uh, than Americans, and that is a far greater risk to your health than obesity. Now, I've certainly lectured many patients over the years to lose weight, but in reality, as I told my smokers, there are a lot of old heavy people, but there aren't very many old smokers. So it's a false argument that the problem is due to our the way we live. The problem is the private insurance industry, which imposes a huge administrative burden on our health care system. One trillion out of every three trillion we spend every year goes to administer it. If we had a Canadian system, we would be able to save $500 billion a year. And this is going to have to be the last word today. Obviously, we did not have enough time. How about I invite the five of you back and uh, we can do it again? That would be great. Okay. Want to do that? All right. Let's do that. We'll we'll set a date and we can uh, have this conversation again. Coming up on uh, tomorrow's program, well, we'll have to see what happens in Vegas, uh, what we get with the the latest in in Vegas. But uh, we're also going to take a look at another aspect of the Vietnam War. Smart Talk is produced by WITF as part of our mission to deliver relevant, high-quality programming. Support comes from Capital Blue Cross, which shares WITF's commitment to being a trusted resource in our communities. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by UPMC Pinnacle, committed to research that improves health, reduces recovery times, and brings new treatments and therapies to our area before they're available elsewhere. More information is at upmcpinnacle.com. 